On this episode of the ZachShreve.com podcast, I sat down with my friend Kevin James Schilling. Kevin and I ended up talking for probably about three hours when I was out in New York. Throwing that at you all at once seems a little overwhelming. So I've cut the episodes down. You're listening to episode one with Kevin today and episode two featuring his famous theory on President Kirk Scholes at Wazoo will be going live next week. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy what you hear. So actually, the first time we met was when you were running for student body president. It was the second time we met. When was the first time we met? When we were at a leadership camp. Oh, 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 oh. I thought I was saying years, at WSU. Years sure, before. sure, sure. Years before. So story time. Zach and I met. It was H, It's ancient history. It Zach and I been, met. Uh, 2011. Yes. 2010, 2011. Going into 2012. Yeah. No. Yeah. 2011. 2010 going into 2011. At... Um, a leadership camp That's called right. Mount Sispis. Yep. Wow. Ancient history. 2011. That's seven years ago. Wow. We're old men. But <laughs> the the time where I first truly met Zach was when you were running for ASWC president. That's right. And I was on the election board. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. And we just were running into each other, all the election stuff. But then, this is the real moment of uh, coming together, was when I reached out to Zach at the beginning of the next year. That's right. Of, 20, of the fall of 2016, like the first or second day, and I said to Zach, hey, school's starting back up again. Um, I've tried out this radio show on KZUU for the summer, but I need some like new voices because... I only had a few people over the summer, and we really need some new voices. Would you mind being the first new voice on the radio show? And, of course, Zach was like, yeah, of course. I'm down. Don't know you very well, but I'm down. And then you were the first You were the first uh, full-time, spice-up-your-morning radio, radio guest. For those of you who don't know, Zach Sharif dubbed the term... Spicy take. But I can't take credit because I didn't come up with it. I just said it to you. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. You did it. As I just want to make sure that's clear. Which was then, and I cannot, taken up by everyone who would come on the show. <laughs> and every listener and everyone in my life would say, what's your spicy take today, Kevin? So. Well, you were full of them. And I'm, I've I'm, got spicy takes. Look, I'm not too proud to take credit for this because I will. So what's, who said that? I think it was Kyle Montgomery and Ethan Stark. I think I was sitting it one way. About the show. About the show. I I was there with you. Because they said, they said, spice up your morning. Yep. With Kevin Schilling. They were talking about Kevin hot James Schilling, excuse me. Spice up your morning with Kevin James Schilling. He doesn't have hot takes, he has spicy takes. And I remember laughing and saying to you that. But I do remember, you pull up the recording, because I do think I I'll told it out. you, yeah. you know, two, three years ago, I didn't come up with this. You did. But I will take credit for you it. You did. That's fine. You can take credit for it. But it, but, but the, the funny thing is, this is what the funny thing is, that then it was picked up by everybody, and everybody used it. I did that show three times a week for a year and a half. That's a lot of shows. That's a long time. I did hundreds of hours of radio. Yeah. Radio. Radio. Live radio. On a station. On a station. Which is important to be noted. Yep. Yeah. As, as a 21, 22-year-old college student yeah did hundreds of hours of radio and to your point 
you are one of my biggest motivations to do this podcast. Well, that's super kind. It's true. Super kind. You, the things that you did on that show. And Spice the, Up Your Morning. Spice Up Your Morning with Kevin James Schilling. Speaking to you, Kevin James Schilling. I remember the, I do remember the message in which you asked. I was at home in Seattle for the summer when you asked if I would come on the show. It was the summer before my fifth year. I had lost the ASWC election. We stayed in touch and you asked me to come on. And I said, I remember reading that message. I think I was coming off shift from Buka to Beverly, <laughs> actually. And you had said, hey, I don't know if you're in Pullman for the summer or not, but I would love for you to come on the show. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this sounds awesome. When I was a freshman, I did a show on KUGR. Okay. With a fraternity brother of mine, Brendan Chandler. Okay. Brendan Champ Chandler. And we did Real Talk with Champ and Sharif. And it was one of the most fun experiences I'd ever had. And that was just on an online streamed radio. So we would, you know, we would record it and people could tune in live online streaming. But other than that, we would post our recordings and people could listen afterward. And when you said, you know, I'm on this radio show, I'd never done anything like that. And I thought, oh my God, he's on a station. This would be so much fun. And to your point, I didn't know you that well, but I knew you enough to think I can hold a conversation with this guy right. and he's fun to talk to. And I was so nervous when I told you I'm not in Pullman for the summer, but I'd love to come back on when I'm there in the fall. And you, you were like, okay, sounds good. And a lot of people say that, and it's like, all right, good to talk. See you later. Yeah, bye. Never going to get that again. <laughs> and I came back in the fall, and sure enough, man of his word, Kevin James Schilling said, I'd love to have you on. And I said, okay. And I came on, and it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in my life. We had an incredible hour of conversation. It was fun. Just like we're having an incredible couple hours of conversation here. It's natural with yeah, you. Yeah, super natural. And I don't think that it's just, I think that you could have a, a conversation with anybody. I would be shocked to hear that you, Kevin James Schilling, struggled to talk to anyone, ever. <laughs> I really would be. But it was amazing to talk to you on air and just to see the way that you had had been able to learn how to ask people questions, how to make the show so subliminally about them in a way in which anybody on the show never felt like you were really digging deep into what they, want, what they were thinking or what they knew, but you did it in such an artful way that people wanted to talk about the things that you brought them on to talk about and I will never forget that it's something that I've thought so much about when I started the website mm -hmm. when I started writing the goal is to podcast the goal is just to talk to people and I learned a lot of that from what you did well I appreciate that I appreciate you because it's it's, it's about the the reason why people will not listen to a radio show or not watch a not watch YouTube videos or not care about someone's Instagram is if it's too much about the person and it's not that person's perspective, no one's interested. I never wanted to make Spice Up Your Morning about me. It was never about me. It was about whoever I was bringing on that day yeah. and then what our conversation was. Yeah. I talked about me every once in a while, but it was, it, it was usually just to progress the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I made a point because I'm a little controversial, to bring on people who I didn't agree with or people who I didn't know. Exactly. I made a point to it. No, that was, that was if, if there's anything I learned from you, aside from the amazing way that you had built a way to get people to talk about themselves in a way that they didn't feel like they were, 
It was the fact that you brought on people that challenged your ideas and made you, it made you work to, to combat mm-hmm. what they were saying. It never felt, you know, when I listen to you talking to, to James Alsup or, um, I mean, he's the most controversial of any guests you brought Absolutely on. Absolutely the most controversial. When I, when I think back about listening back to your, your recordings, anybody that you brought on, it was as much of a challenge for you to listen to what they had to say, knowing it went against everything you believed, as it was for you to defend what you believed, because now you had to. And people aren't willing to take that risk. Yeah. People aren't willing to go out of their way to say, look, I believe these things. Here's why I believe them. That's one thing. It's another thing for you to bring someone in and say, you disagree with me entirely. Here's the platform for you to tell me what you think. And now, in front of everybody else on a live station, I have live. To, on a live, live. live station, mm-hmm. I have to defend why I think what I think against the points that you've made, that's what I can't get over. At the end of the day, if I don't like what you say, I can cut it out. Sure. I've cut out everything you've said in this podcast. <laughs> you've made me look very dumb. <laughs> and I, I have taken that out of the podcast. It's fine. It's gone. It'll never be repeated. But even that, it's, I don't think about it as, you know, I, I need it. Sure. But it's there if I did, right? You had none of that liberty. Couldn't do it. And people, people would say, oh, can I come on your podcast? And I'm like, no, because I have a radio show. Yeah. Like, it's totally different. And I remember, too, a lot of people would say, I'll come on if we don't talk about these things. And I'd say, okay, that's fine. Then they'd get in the chair, turn on the radio, it'd be live, and I'd say, you're listening to KZUU 90.7 FM Pullman, a broadcast service of the ASWSU. The views and opinions of this service are not the views and opinions of ASWSU, KZUU Radio, or Washington State University. Welcome to Spice of Your Morning. I have blah, blah, blah here. Let's talk about that thing you didn't want to talk about. And then it's live on radio. And they can't say no. But the way, because I knew they explicitly said I don't want to talk about it. They had Because points. it's too controversial. Yeah. Or they're afraid of whoever might be listening. Mm-hmm. The reason why I brought it up is because I wanted to prove it's not scary to talk about things that you might think are controversial. Sure. Or you need to learn to express yourself on the fly. All the- Let's talk about this trip. We're in New York. Oh, man. We're coming to you live from Harlem. Are we in, is this East Harlem? So this is 110th and 5th Avenue, which is the end of Museum Mile. If you were to walk a couple blocks that way, you'd hit the Museum of the City of New York. You'd hit the Met. You'd hit the Guggenheim. Did you point if you walked a couple miles? Like anybody can see where you're pointing. If you walk a couple miles, I'm that pointing way. this way. Nobody can. Nobody knows what. Yeah, way but is. you know what? If you were someone, is who that knew south? The, yes. Thank you. Towards the end of the island. This is something I've learned from Levitard because he likes to point out when he when people have bad radio because uh-huh. they'll do physical things, right? Because their show gets taped and people will make gestures and he goes, "Oh, this is great. We're on the radio. Well, and nobody can see what you're doing." From what I've heard about Dan Levitard, he sounds like kind of a dick. But this is done. This is, this is completely over. That would be like you getting into boxing and saying Ali was overrated. Like I mean, you can't do that. Yeah, you did not just compare Muhammad Dan, Ali Dan to Lebitard. some dumb radio host. Okay, first off, he has a name. It's Dan Lebitard. 
And I will go on the record. He's the Muhammad Ali of radio hosts. That's some spicy takes right there. You can have it because he's not a gas bag. Compared to who? Sugar Ray Leonard. See, now I'm getting into uncharted territory because I don't listen to any sports. You want to make a boxing reference, and then you don't want to know who I'm talking about other than that. I know who your boxing references are. I don't know who your radio references are. I know Dan Levitard. I don't know who any other one is. Howard Stern's a hack. Okay, I know Howard Stern. Of course he's a hack. America thinks he's a hack. But he also invented modern radio, talk show radio, gas bag radio. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, gas bag radio. I will accept that. Okay. To your other point before you interrupted about Dan Levitard's bullshit... Okay. We are a couple miles north <laughs> of the Museum Mile starting point, which is the starting point of the south end of Central Park. Okay. We're at the tip of the north end of Central Park on 110th and 5th Avenue. What people don't know is that the most important area around here is the conservatory of Central Park. It is a beautiful garden where people go, they have weddings, they take pictures. It is very well, uh, there are, there's just flowers, every, it's beautiful. And it's this, it's this large, kind. Of, I feel like I'm in a French villa in the middle of New York City. Sure. And if you can find somewhere in the middle of New York City that makes you feel like you're not in the middle of New York City, stay there forever and never leave that part of the city because the city can get to you. So just to orient your listeners, we are at the northeast zone of Central Park on the on the crux of Harlem. Okay. I think what you said about not feeling like you're in the city is probably the most surreal part of walking through Central Park. Because at any point when you go to a park, at least, I mean, we're both from Seattle, greater Seattle area. At any point that you go to a park, you've made, that's your destination for the day. In you, Seattle. You've made an effort to go to this park, yeah. right? So if you're in Cap Hill... There's a lot of parks that are maybe, I mean, nowhere near Central Park, obviously, but have the same feel where you kind of lose sight that you're actually in the city of Seattle. But to be in the middle of Central Park and look around at the horizon and you don't see a single skyscraper for even just a moment. I, I, you've shown me parts of Central Park where I, where I have to remember we're in the heart of New York City. We are in the heart of Manhattan. And it's hard to believe that, that this thing is, what is it, five miles long? Central Park? Mm, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, close five. Okay. North to south. Oh, ye, ye, north to south, it's six. So, okay, but yeah. it's, it's huge. Yeah, like it's you, huge. You can't really fathom. Well, it's not even the biggest park in New York. What is? I think Van Cortlandt Park is. Where's that? That's way up north of the Bronx. Okay. Way up there. There are three parks that are bigger than Central Park. Van Cortlandt Park, Pelham Bay, which are both in the Bronx, and then... The Queens Park, where the World's Fair happened, where the saucers are that appeared in Men in Black, that's in the Queens, and it's wow. larger than Central Park. Well, what a reference! That's true. That, I've never seen Men in Black. I'll be honest with you. Never seen Men in Black. There's Will been a, it's been movie. a long running day of you being upset with me for movies I haven't seen. Yeah, Days what and was confused. it? Days and confused. You know what they say about them high school girls? <laughs> <laughs> if you finish, I'm not finishing it. But, but your viewers will understand that reference who have seen Days and Confused. Your listeners, sorry, not your is viewers. that spicy? That's what? not even the spiciest thing you'll say. Oh, I'll say much more spicy. Okay. But the, here's the deal about parks. That's the beauty of parks. The beauty of parks and the wonder of parks is that if you do it right, if you make a park correctly, it is the place to be. You don't want to be anywhere else. You are enchanted. Parks enchant. And if they don't, they've failed their purpose. I don't want to go to a park and sit on a bench and 
just be in a park. You don't be in parks. You ex- you should be experiencing parks. Give me a, a a bad example of a park, or an example of a bad park. What's a bad park? That one crappy one in Seattle that's right above I five, on uh, I think it's on Pike, and it's right before that one restaurant that's a Tango restaurant, like right as you're going up the hill to Capitol Hill, and it's got the original pillars of UW. Well, that's why we don't like it. Yeah, I mean, yes. That's bad enough as it is. But also, it's a terrible park because there's no change from where you were to what you're to where you are now. If you can't go from somewhere to be transported somewhere else, a park shouldn't exist. Then, then it's not a park. Okay. But right across the street are the uh, is the Fountain Park on top of the Washington State Convention Center. Okay. Which is amazing, which is an incredible park. Sure. You don't feel like you're in Seattle at all. Mm-hmm. At all. I feel like I'm Leslie Nope now. I'm talking about parks and how much parks are amazing. Well, should like, we get oh, into the know. recreation? Uh, if you want to. No, I don't. I just, I'm all about that, too. I thought it was a good joke. Yeah. Getting into the, rec- getting into the recreation. <laughs> we talk a lot about parks. Not, uh, not parks are an important topic. This is what's so cool about the state of Washington. The progressive founders of the state of Washington in the late 1890s created a provision within the Washington State Constitution that allowed townships, municipalities, and counties to establish park districts so that if you were a group of people and you said, I want to build a park, but you didn't have some massive millionaire philanthropist, you could tax yourselves, you could vote to tax yourselves money to create parks in your city, in your county, wherever. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. How cool is that? But not anymore. No, they still exist. Oh, really? They're not very much, they're not elected anymore. Like Seattle, the city of Seattle has a park commission, but they're not elected. Okay. So one of the many controversies of Ed Murray's mayorship of Seattle, what a horrible mayor, but one of the many controversies of Ed Murray's mayorship of Seattle was that one of the first things he did was appoint his husband director of Parks and Recreation. So not only were you taking in the $190,000 salary for being mayor, but your husband was taking in $140,000 a year being director of Parks and Recreation. Really? And so your your total combined household income was over or close to, no, over $300,000 a year off taxpayers. He was a mess, Ed Murray. Total mess. More than anything I've ever seen. And it's not like anybody's following what mayors around the country are doing, but to see what happened with him and all the allegations around the assaults and, and whatnot, alleged assaults. Nah, the, and, yeah, and assaults, yeah. Assault, okay. Yeah, you abuse. Know, I'm, I'm trying to be safe. The abuse. Constant, yeah. But to the wait-and-see approach that you see a city like Seattle take with a mayor as opposed to you know people that are imprisoned or... Like one example I think of is the marijuana laws right now, and and Jenny Durkin came out and said, uh, you know, we're gonna go through all the cases in which people are have been convicted for marijuana charges now that it's legal in the state, and we're gonna overturn them and bring these people back out to society. Right. And then you, you look at how I mean, how is that any different from a year ago? Or how? Excuse me, not how is that any different, but how much has changed from from a year ago, where you had a man in office who was allegedly doing all of these things throughout his life, yeah. and, and we and the city just said, you know, we'll see. And that, that's what really bugged me. Yeah. Right? Like, I consider myself liberal, 
I consider myself, I'm, I'm not considered, I, I'm a member of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And I was going out saying, this is nuts that Ed Murray's done this and he's still mayor of Seattle. Allegedly done this. Even if it was only alleged, this is nuts that we're, like, people aren't saying, hey, this is a problem and we should investigate. Sure. No Democrats came out and said, yo, Ed Murray, you should step aside because this is just really bad. Like, it doesn't, I don't care if you did or didn't do it. Yeah. The image is really, really bad for the city of Seattle. And no one came out and said it. I think one city councilman said it. I think it was Lorena Gonzalez. Go Cougs. Coug alum. Go Cougs. Um, I think she came out and said, yeah, it's totally not okay that Ed Murray, even if these are just allegations, like, it's not okay that Ed Murray um, doesn't just step aside. Like, you should step aside. And I was, I was upset with a lot of the establishment that they didn't go out and say, hey, he should step aside because even just these being allegations are really, really bad. Do you, and I think it speaks to a bigger bigger issue in transparency with the city, right? Totally. So, so alongside of all of that, definitely not as severe, but you look at what's going on with the stadium, with the NBA team, with the NHL team, the decision between Soto and Key Arena, and you look at the city saying, we have a depreciating asset in Queen Anne that we need to utilize, uh-huh. or we're going to keep paying money on this that we can't afford to do. Key Arena. Key Arena. Yep. Or you have this proposed new arena in Soto that's about a one-street vacation away from being tax-free for the city of Seattle. At what point do you as a city council member or you as an elected official of the city be transparent enough to say, here's why we're choosing Queen Anne? Well, this this is where I think politicians as a whole get into a lot of trouble. They don't just explain why they have made a decision. Mm-hmm. They look at poll numbers and they say 30% of people approve of this and they go, oh my God, I've got to step back and not do anything about that. When what you should be doing, if you know what you're deciding is right, you should be thinking that 30% just means that there's 70% of people who are out there who I can convince, that need to be convinced. It's time to convince them. Mm-hmm. But no one has the gumption to do that, right? Like no one has the, no one, no one looks at poll numbers and gets fired up and excited. They look at poll numbers and they get scared. Sure. Which is terrible. But really quick, back to that Murray thing really quick about scandal and like shoving stuff yeah. to the side. Go Seattle Times. Like I don't, th- you know, no better example of like muckraking journalism. Mm-hmm. But I think it was Joe O'Sullivan or it was Brenner. I can't remember which of the lead Seattle Times journalists went down. But they legit like went down to the one place where Someone had gotten in, one of the uh, um, alleged abusees had gotten in it touch in, with them. It was in Oregon, wasn't it? Yeah, and in said Portland like, or... hey, yo, the mayor of Seattle abused me when I was a kid. When he worked at this uh, like social service house. Mm-hmm. Go down and check it out. And they did. And like, I remember a picture I saw in the Seattle Times article of Joe O'Sullivan or um, Jim Brenner like picking out of this super old file cabinet, like a closed manila folder that's titled like Ed Murray case. Do not open case or something like that. Like some Ed Murrow stuff. So it's like, like serious Ed Murrow stuff. Some yellow journalism. No, it's like serious yellow journalism, like muckraking. Yeah. Like they went down and looked in the places that no one else had before. Sure. Because Ed Murray had covered it up like his whole career. Um, but like Soto, right? Like it's interesting too because Ed, I mean, this connects with Ed Murray too because uh-huh. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but when Ed Murray was a state senator before he ran for mayor, he shepherded through the state legislature the funding bill to finance the construction of the tunnel under Seattle. And Christine, the 99 tunnel. Yeah, the 99 sure, tunnel. Sure, okay. And Christine Gregoire's governor signed it. Mm-hmm. And then Ed Murray, as mayor, for anyone who's a Seattleite listening to this, 
um, ran for mayor in 2013 mm -hmm. on the platform of building a tunnel. He was the take down the viaduct person. And Mike McGinn was the, let's leave it up, or we could take it down, but let's make a, on, a surface street sure. through the waterfront. But Ed Murray had financed the tunnel project in the state Senate. And it had already been the, done. It had already been done. And then he ran for the mayorship saying, I did that and I want to do that and let's do it. And we all know how big of a fiasco that's turned into yeah. um, and how ridiculous that whole thing's going to be. I mean, but I mean, you're out here in New York. Yeah. I'm in Seattle and we're seeing this. We're seeing the construction around 99. I live right off 99. And when I go downtown, it is, it's the most complete it's been, right? But there's, I think I can speak for a lot of people when I say that we know that as soon as this is open, it's told. People are not anticipating benefits of this new tunnel. No. It's immediately, oh, this is here now, you're going to pay for it immediately. It's and the same way people felt about 520 yeah. three or four years ago. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now people have forgotten about it because now the construction for the links coming up yeah. 15, 20 years too late. There's all of these different facets that people go, okay, well, this is going to be better than it was. But, but why did we take so long to get here? What do you do with that? Yeah, and I mean, it has to do a lot with the foresight of generations before us. Because in the late 70s, early 80s, I can't remember exactly, um, voters in King County, Snohomish County, and Pierce County voted to reject a plan that would have given us federal money to create a subway system. Voters rejected it. Because guess why? They loved their cars. And no one lived in Seattle. It was only a Boeing town. Like back then it was still only Boeing. I'm going to sneeze sure. for a second, I think, but I don't know yet. It might That's be okay. It might not be. It was only a Boeing town. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't and laugh like, after you. <laughs> <laughs> it's and like okay. hardly anyone lived in Seattle. So people were like, we don't need, we don't need subways. We, no one lives here. Mm -hmm. So no. I don't want it, even though it wouldn't have cost Seattle anything. Guess who got it? You know? No. Atlanta. Really? And then Atlanta turned into this massive... It's a huge hub. ...hub of business innovation. Yeah. Like, like Atlanta's been this huge economic driver for the South. Um, probably the only one. Maybe Charlotte's up there for banking. Well, isn't isn't there a Carolina... Uh, South Charlotte. Carolina? Okay. Well, Charlotte, North Carolina. For is, Boeing. Is up there for banking. Oh, for but Boeing. No, but isn't Boeing South in one Carolina. of the... That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, Okay. In, um, on the outside outskirts of Columbia. I got a good point here. And that's Amazon. Amazon's down there too. But um that's a whole other subject. But they took it. Because the R4 R4 generation in Seattle didn't have weren't prescient. They didn't see ahead of their times to say this would be good for the future. Sure. Because in the late 70s, early 80s, nobody thought anything would be there except for Boeing. Boeing dominated. It wasn't anything else. Well, I mean, what's there in the 70s and 80s? Microsoft's getting started in Redmond. Bare barely. Barely. You know, it, less, than, less than 500 people. In the, not in the 70s. Or not even. They're not yeah. even there yet, In the right? 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Amazon, which isn't starting until the 90s. Right. Um, the 90s. And it's not going to become anything near what it is until the 2000s. Yeah, God, it was Jeff Bezos in his garage. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, why would you think any differently? It's hard to blame them. You're right. But at some point, why wouldn't you adapt? You know, it's, it's, it's like I understand that that decision was put off for so long because at that time it wasn't necessary. But then you look forward and it seems consistent that the decisions being made don't benefit people as, as well as it seems like they would. And what I mean by that is 
I'm thinking of Jenny Durkin, this article that came out a week ago, two weeks ago, this idea of tolling downtown Seattle. Which is nuts. Which is crazy, yeah. right? And the article mentioned the only other city in the world, the, excuse me, not the world, the only other city in the U.S. that's even thought about doing something like this is New York. Yeah. With a proposed $12 daily toll into, into Manhattan. To minimize traffic. Exactly. Yeah. Where, that makes sense. Because if you've ever watched any video ever about Manhattan or been here or seen anything, it's crazy. The <laughs> yeah. driving's crazy. Crazier than Seattle, crazier than probably any other city in the country. Yeah, in the country, for sure. Maybe LA. Maybe LA. LA. I can say LA too, yeah. But when you think about that, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's not, we're going to toll downtown Seattle unless you have an electric car or unless you have a carpool, or unless you pay a fee that you know negates that kind of toll. And then you see, well, we're not gonna make public transportation any less expensive. The link isn't gonna be ready till 2023. And I understand that the decision is just implementing a study to see mm -hmm. if this is something that should be good. But then you read the Seattle Times article that says they would need congressional approval from the state, which it doesn't seem like they're gonna go after which would lead to a vote from the residents of Seattle. And I don't want to sit here and say I know what's going to happen there because we live in Seattle. It's a crazy city. People vote the way that they do. Yeah. And nobody can explain it. Yeah. But why? Why would you want to pass something that implicates you in this tax against yourself that seems to have zero benefit for any of your outcome? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think I'm, I'd, be, I'd be supportive of a toll when and if like public transportation is up to par with the amount of people who live in Seattle. Because if I was able to go, if I had a job downtown and I was able to go without a doubt on a bus or my light rail to downtown where I needed to go without having to walk another additional 15, 20 minutes, I'd be fine. Yeah, I'm fine with the toll. Sure. Like, you know. But the problem is right now there's people who don't have or don't want to spend the extra $10 Going from the south to the north and the north to the south. Just regular people, working sure. people, working class, middle class people. We're not talking about Tesla owners, which I'm fine. Like, let's put a value added tax on Teslas. If you can afford a Tesla, you can afford an extra $15,000 on your Tesla sure. to, you know, pay for roads that you're not paying towards because you're not buying gas. So you're not contributing to the gas tax. So estimated time, out. estimated amount of time over time that, like, you would not be supporting uh, transportation costs in the state of Washington with your Tesla. I'm fine putting a $20,000 value-added tax on your stupid Tesla because you're paying for it anyway with your Amazon money. Like, I'm putting it on there, <laughs> smacking it on there. I'm for the people, you know? Yeah. So. Is there a word you say more aggressively than Tesla? Tesla? No. Nikola Tesla is rolling in his grave right now. No, Nikola Tesla is rolling in his grave that Elon Musk is using Nikola Tesla's name for economic benefit. My second guest on the podcast. Yes. Something I'm very proud of. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to have you on. Welcome you were, to the Big Apple. You were my number one uh, sought-after guest. I saw that. I was flattered. Thank you. Uh, no disrespect to Connor Reichenbach. He was a great first guest. Sorry about it, Reich. Bacher. Bacher. Oh, God. Uh, one thing that I would like to ask everyone that comes on is, knowing what you know now about yourself, about where you're at in life, about 
everything going on with you, is there something that had you known it sooner, you would be better off now having known? Which is a kind of a loaded question. You can take it any way you want. But I, I'm very curious. With everyone that I talk to, I want to know what's something that you know now mm -hmm. that having known sooner would have made your life better? Mm. Well, number one, I would say you can't regret anything. It takes time to mold regret into action. Like it takes time to identify like, oh, I'm not, re I don't regret that. But I want to take that experience and make it better. Um, I would say to younger Kevin, I'm only 24, everyone thinks I'm like 30, it's not true. <laughs> I would say to younger Kevin, don't be afraid to say to people, thank you for that advice, but I'm gonna go do my own thing. Because for years, I listened to other people tell me what they think I should do. And that made me wander a lot. Mm -hmm. And that made me not stick to my convictions or follow my gut. You've got to follow your gut. I know that's cliche. Not at all. But you have to follow. Every single decision I made based off following my gut has been an amazing life decision. Whether it be travel, whether it be going to a school, whether it be starting a friendship, gut decision. Whether it be speaking the truth. I think honesty is really underrated. And it's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. There are so many things I wish I could be honest about. But because I know that it would be so hard for people to grasp, I can't. It's, the consequence of the honesty is not worth yeah. the experience. I'm, I'm honest. I, that's not to say I don't, I don't lie. No, no. I don't lie. I don't lie. But, like, I can't just openly say what I'm thinking. That's what I mean. Like, there are some things you shouldn't, you shouldn't be openly honest about out of, out of, like, understanding that it could have serious consequences. Mm -hmm. um, because most people's lives aren't your lives. Isn't your life. No one's. Yeah, you, you, the only life you're responsible for is yours until you become a parent, then you're responsible for your kid's life. But sure. you know what I mean? So I think my big thing is don't be afraid to follow your gut. What this makes me think of is two years ago, you and I sat on the deck cigars. over cigars was actually and whiskey, and we talked about the decision that you had upcoming. You had a full ride from WC for grad school in which they would have let you do whatever you wanted. Literally keys to the castle. The whole the whole nine yards. Yeah. Everything you wanted. I would have been paid a lot of money to go to school. That's right. Yeah. And on top of that, do whatever you wanted. Literally, yeah. Or you could go to Columbia, an Ivy League school where clearly you would be responsible for a lot of what that meant in terms of payment yeah. and, and whatnot, but get an Ivy League education coming in from a gap year community college undergrad at Washington State and now Ivy League. And you had to choose between literally what you said, the keys to the castle or an Ivy League education that you never thought you were gonna get even the opportunity to have. Ever. I remember when you applied 
this was your reach. Columbia was your reach, and you thought, this is not for me. And it, and it happened, and it was your, at that point, you had literally the bookends of everything I could ever ask for or something I never thought I'd have. And to your point, no regrets. No regrets. How I don't that, have any how, regret. How did that play into your decision? About regret? Do I regret not going to WSU to get my master's? I wouldn't say I regret it. I would say there are elements of where I would have been comfortable. Going to get my master's at WSU would have been comfortable. I didn't want that. I yeah. wanted a challenge. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to be tired and exhausted and know that the sweat and the blood that I put into it came out with a master's from Columbia and that network. Um, so no, I don't regret not going to WSU for my master's. Um, there are times when I think like, oh, I would have been closer to home, would have been closer to friends, um, all that stuff. But there's something to be said for moving on. And there's something to be said for experiencing something new. And I thought to myself, you know what? People who care about me, they'll care about me no matter what I choose to do. And if they don't, then they're not worth having in my life. If people don't care about you based off what you think is best for yourself, they're not worth it. There's a great Dr. Seuss quote um, where, where the cat in the hat says, um, be who you are and say how you feel because those who mind won't matter. I mean, those, those who don't, those who don't mind matter and those who matter, no, shit. <laughs> Be who you are and say how you feel because those who matter don't mind. And those who mind don't matter. Yes, and those who mind don't matter. Be who you are and say how you feel because those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. That's Dr. Seuss. You'd read that as a kid. Be who you are and say how you feel. And people say, like, what are you going to do with two master's degrees in history? Because I go to London School of Economics after this to get a second one. That's right. So what are you going to do with two master's degrees in history? And I say, what am I not going to do with it? Yeah. That's me to decide. Yeah. Don't worry about that right now. Because right now I'm getting my master's in history. Yeah. So care about me getting my master's in history. Hey, Kevin, what are you reading? Hey, what are you writing about? Hey, who'd you meet today? Ask me about now. When, I, when you want to talk about later, let it be later. Stephen Sondheim wrote a song in um, A Little Night Music, literally titled Later, where the guy is singing about what comes tomorrow. Later, when is later? Why does anyone care what is later? Literally, that's how the song goes. I used to care a lot about the future. And I used to think, and my mom would get mad at me. Ah, Kevin, why do you always care about what you want to do later so much? And so I think that'd be another piece of advice that I've learned throughout my short, long life. Mm -hmm. Is that follow your gut. 
And it's okay to plan. Planning is good. But don't forget to be now. Live in the moment. That's why I loved radio. It's all about the moment. Well, you're live. Yeah. That's all you have is that moment. That's it. That's why I love politics. Politics is about the moment and plans for the, for the future. That will change. Inevitably. Yeah. That's what I love about politics. That's what I loved about the student body senate. That's what I love about the news. That's why I wake up every morning and read the news every morning. What does Kevin James Schilling read? Oh, I mean, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Washington Post, The Economist, and The Seattle Times. In oh, that order. Every day. Every single morning. In that order. Every single thing. Every single section. How long does that take you? About an hour. Really? Yeah. You pick and choose what, what you care about. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll look through every section. Like, you don't care about the local section. Oh, I'll skip the lifestyle stuff. And, sure. You know. I don't read the Metro section of the New York Times. It's just the comics of every one of the ones you just mentioned, right? Love the comics. All about the comics. And the crossword. Yeah. There's a great, there's a great comic I love um, called Single Party Opera, which is this comic using historical presidents to mock Trump. So he's got like Thomas Jefferson talking to Grover Cleveland about Trump's airstrikes in Syria. And they're like, what an idiot. Like, Thomas Jefferson's like, Grover Cleveland's like, this guy's a fool. That's perfect. It's awesome. It's really awesome. Like, Grover Cleveland's like, oh, I should have, I should have annexed Hawaii when I had the chance. And, like, critiques Trump for talking about, like, going into a fake African country. Nambia is this fake country that Donald Trump talked about once. But um, but no. Follow your gut. Be more about in the moment. Because when I realized something when I was at WSU and I was developing certain friendships with people. One was with you. Yeah. Um, the other with the other with uh, my roommates, and the other with Victor. And it was all about the moment. In the moment, what are we doing right now? What are we talking about right now? Yeah. Um. Which is why I'm here, and not working on my paper, because I'm like I'll remember this more than I'll remember writing that paper. Mm -hmm. Good thing I got a lot of work on it. True. But, like the memory of being in the moment is more powerful for um, a lot of different situations than the other. Memory is a powerful thing. When I was on the Interfraternity Council, my vice president, Parker Gross, mm -hmm. who I've shouted out now in both podcasts. Wow, prominent guy. Very prominent guy. His big move, along with Corbin Poppy, used to they used to both say, "What are you going to remember?" And it's one of the favorite phrases I've ever heard. It's a great phrase. It's one of the most convincing things you can say to someone because, to your point, 
you saying that to someone makes them call into question everything they've done to the point at which it's been said to them and everything they will do after that. And there are very few statements that make you stop and think exactly what they said to you, right? Yeah. What are you going to remember? Yeah. And they're right. Ten times out of ten, somebody presenting you with an opportunity by saying, what are you going to remember? When you're on your deathbed, you're not going to remember sitting at home doing nothing. No. You're going to remember putting your work down and going to have a fishbowl-sized drink <laughs> at Stubblefield. Or you're going to remember that great kiss you had. Or that great song you listened to. Or that great meal you made with your best friend. Or podcasting in North Central Park. Or that. Kevin, thank you for joining me. What a great time. It's been awesome. What a time to be alive. Thank you for your spicy takes. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I'm honored to be your second guest. I'm happy to have you on. I'm excited. I look forward to having you on again. Can't wait to listen to it. Can't wait to be on again. Thanks, Kev. Zach Sharif. That's me. <laughs>